But I always check them north slopes for the Giants. Mm. That's a hot tip. That is. Yeah. That's my number one tip of the day. And most people are always saying, check those south slopes, but you always want to do that. But south slopes are good for numbers. North slopes are good for slobs. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, powered by DeerCast. This is episode number 254. Are you sure? Yes, I'm not. Okay, all right. (laughs) You're Tim Chelswick. You are Matt Drury, and we're coming off a really hot week. So last week, we had T-Bone. Yep. We had the guys from Working Class Bowhunter. Yep. And this week, we're continuing the trajectory with a Bow Madness cast member. With guests. (laughs) Yeah, with with guests in general. It's not just you and me sitting around. Apparently, that's what people want. (laughs) Talking about how not great we are. That's right. Um, So we've got Eric Boothin, otherwise known as Booty, on. He's a big buck killer. Like the, he's known for killing large deer on the team, and that's saying something. Yeah, when I look back in the history of Drury Outdoors in 33 years or so, there's a few guys that come to mind when it comes to the knowledge. It's one thing to be able to consistently kill 140, 150 class deer. Like that's not an easy feat either. Sure. But when you go up to that next level, where I'd I'd classify back in the day like Ben Rising, you know, um, Mark, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Tom Ware, you know, there's a few guys that are consistent big buck killers, and Booty's always been in that realm. So uh, look forward to picking his brain here a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit of shed hunting and uh, look forward here to the next season. Yeah, because that really seems to be part of his equation is is not only getting uh, killing big deer, but knowing where they live year round. Yeah, I mean, that's his land management side is where I think his key to success is, lies. I mean, he puts a lot of attention onto the habitat management and what he's doing from food plotting yeah. and, and all that standpoint. So, so we've got shout outs coming a little later in the show. We got a review coming later in the show. We've got a special, this is something you and I have not talked about for people that are watching the show. A show and tell. Oh, okay. Show and tell. And it could stink a little bit. All right. Oh, great. So, so before that, let's talk to... <laughs> is that what we're... Okay. Is that what that smell is? All right. <laughs> Booty, what's up, man? Not much. How you guys doing? We're doing good, man. Thanks for joining us. And, um, you know, I look forward to picking your brain here because, you know, following you on Instagram, on social media, Facebook, you, you're just, you're finding those big sheds. Of course, you live in Iowa. You live in a great area for big deer. That helps. You know, mm-hmm. that I think people are like, how do I find sheds? Can't for, find them if they're not there. <laughs> exactly. First of all, you got to be in an area where deer are. So maybe take us through some of the, you know, your best tips here. We As we were talking before the show, you had a great one just kind of a happenstance that uh, something that happened to you here last week so take us through kind of what your motive is here how you go back and and try to find all these sheds you know why are you so successful um the biggest part's always you know in the, up here i live in the northern region iowa so we got to have a lot of food because we get snow and as you could tell we still have on the north slopes we still got a foot of snow so uh, having food, I didn't let them run out of food. Most of my food plots, thank goodness, made it through the year because of, you know, the fall was pretty mild. So I had good food all the way until, uh, I don't know, end of February. So I had to start feeding a little bit. And just going in and feeding is my secret to my success because I don't run around and check cameras that are dead. I just go in to feed, keep them there, and never stress them because a lot of times they don't leave, you know, they don't leave the food very 
from the food very far. So, uh, you don't want to go in there and monkey around a whole lot. So I don't even, if I see a shed, I'll pick a shed up by where I'm feeding. Other than that, I don't care if there's one out in the middle of the field when I'm feeding until I'm done, I won't go get it. I'll just let it sit there till this time of year because I'd rather a lot of that snow or any chance the snow be gone before I stress them because they take off. You get, they're so herded up. They take off running. And before you know, you got the whole herd stressed, you know? So a lot of the times I just like to, to start the feeding process. And then now I'll start dipping into shed hunting and frost seeding at the same time. And that's how I've been picking them up. That, that I is okay that's so different than a lot of people that are kind of getting anxious and and even in iowa going out i mean we were getting sheds shed finds on deer cast in january people finding yeah. them yep yep um it's easy to get anxious to go out because you know if you got a really big deer you hunted and and uh you didn't get a shot at him and he's still carrying and all of a sudden you find out that he shed well my thought on it is, you know, there's probably other bucks living there if he's living there. And it's just not worth stressing the whole herd out. Even if there's two-year-olds and three-year-olds and you're just mainly focusing on that deer, I still don't go in there until they're all shut off. I just don't. What's the – so what is your – so northern Iowa, what is your window of time that you will dip in? I, it always starts in March. only time I find any horns, like I say, is off food in February. But I always start, like – right around March 1st, right after the deer classic, which that was this past weekend. Mm -hmm. That's when I'll start hitting it because even right now, my North slopes are still full. And as we get into this farther, I'll tell you why I still don't go in a lot. I still have some nice bucks carrying and, uh, you know, believe it or not, you know, a lot of people like to focus on self slopes. Well, some of my biggest deer sheds that I find every year are North slopes. They always have been because of stress. You know, they try to get away from herd, the herd stress. The big old mm. mature bucks do. So a lot of the times I find big sheds, they're always on North slopes because of that aspect. Huh. That's We have not heard that tip yet. You know, you, you always hear about south facing hillsides mm -hmm. always. And, and I get what you're saying. It makes perfect sense. Those old mature bucks, you know, they, they're key to, to kind of growing old is staying away from that so, social stress. And they're kind of hermits, you know, mm -hmm. they just kind of get away from the action, so to speak, the young bucks, all the deer, the does, you, you know, so that does make a lot of sense. Honestly, You're talking about your dad right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Old man winter. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Leave <right>. me alone. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like, it, it's interesting because you think about quantity, but, but I suppose if you want to really focus on big deer and figure out where they're living, maybe you sacrifice the quantity side and go to those lower percentage areas, knowing that you could find bigger racks there. Again, you have to have big deer. <laughs> to, That's to that. my problem. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> it don't matter if it's big. I mean, even if it's mature, you know, a lot of times, most times, you know, they're always big and mature, but they're not big in the antler department. It'll be 120, 130, and it'll be six years old. But so many times, for for instance, this is a good point that nobody ever talks about, but everybody sees it. During late muzzleloader, you get to see the a lot of their behavior because they're coming off the rut, you know, and late muzzleloader in Iowa is end of December to January. And every year, some of my biggest target bucks, I'll be sitting, you know, a primo food plot, no pressure, never been in there all year. And you'd think, wow, you're going to sit here and you're just going to tip them over. It's going to be a cakewalk, you know. And I'll look out the window a half hour before dark, and that target buck, this has happened to me a bunch, that target buck will be out in a chisel plowed cornfield a half mile to three quarters of a mile away from that food plot, eating by himself, trying to paw up a, a kernel or two because he's trying to get away from social stress. They always do that. That's why 
a majority of the time, South Slope is a is a great place for numbers, but a lot of the times, like I said, a lot of my biggest sheds this time of year are North Slopes. East Slopes obviously are good too, but just, and it's always because they're laying on North Slopes because not a lot of deer do that. So they're just getting away from all that pressure and that stress. And that's why they do it. I, I often wonder about, there's a couple of trails to one of my properties that are like deer highways, but I always wonder, do big deer really take those? So like when you're picking a path through the woods, do you, do you trend towards those major travel corridors or are you looking for kind of sneakier routes that a big buck may take? I answer your question on that. I've put in the years and I still do it every year because you just never know. I've put a lot of cameras on main trails or in the snow, you know, if the trails are, the snow's a foot deep and you have trail, these big trails coming into food plots. I put a lot of cameras on them and you'll still run on like a rut cycle. I'll have, you know, one every five days, the same big one will come down that trail. And a lot of times they just come out off trails a lot of times. And that's where you find a lot of big ones too, is just places you never expect to find them, you know, just the last place of snow melts. But I've put a lot of cameras on those trails. And a lot of times, like I say, they, they're so sporadic coming out on those trails because again, it goes back to you know, social stress. There's a ton of deer coming out those trails. And a lot of times if a bird flies out in some sand and corn, a lot of the does and little bucks are already out there. Mm. They take off and they run right back into them trails where they're coming from three, four times a night, no matter if the farm has stressed or not. And that's why they just seem to, a lot of times they'll just take their own trail. They never come down them trails. So you hang cameras on a lot of them trails, you'll see that. And most farms that a lot of them just come out on, you know, their own trail, their own, their own way. Scott uh, Heminger made an interesting social post here uh, last week, and it was, do you find your sheds tines up or tines down? And it was a question I hadn't even considered asking, but how about you, Booty? What do you see? Uh, it, it's just how they're going to fall off the head. It's like grabbing a horn in the office right there, dropping it from your waist and letting it hit the ground. That's where it's going to land. You know, it's going to land tines down, tines up. I've had them everywhere. My coolest way to find them is to find a set in there grappled into one another i've had that happen like huh. six seven times it's rare but it happens into a bed that's pretty cool but it's just when they fall off you don't know if it's gonna be times up times down. Well, we've got we've got video of a really cool matching set that that you find you want to tell us about that yeah i was uh frosting um the other day i was finished up frosting because i've been doing a lot more frosting this year because of you know like fertilizer prices are going to be through the moon this year way it's looking and uh so I was finishing up cross-seeding this last food plot, and I dropped in. I was on a north slope, and I waved the camera around when I walked in there because there was a acre spot that must have got a little easterly exposure in this north slope, and it melted off the snow in this little square area. So I'm like, well, I'm walking down there. And I walked down there, and one of these big eights I have on, on this particular farm, I look over, and he's laying there in a bed, hinds up, both of them side by side. And I videoed it all. And I sent it to you guys and uh, it's, it's a cool piece of people see it because it's the way it lays. He looked like he got out of his bed, stood up, shook, and they dropped right <laughs> in his bed. And it's a big one. It's cool. It's really cool. And uh, that's the first that I found like that this year where they've been, you know, just stood up and dropped, which is cool. That's what, and that's what happened. It's just doesn't happen that often very often or that way very often. You know, it's always a single side or, or every so often a set, but it's always single sides. So you've been doing this a long time. What's the biggest shed you found over the history of doing it? I found a, I found a 108 incher down at Lee Lakowski's about, um, I don't even know, 10, 12 years ago. My buddy Dennis Williams owned 
half the farm that Lee and Tiffany had used to live on. And we used to go on their shed hunt at night. And I stopped and took a break in the cedar thicket and the horn there. Everybody was looking for this horn. It was a giant buck. The horn was laying by my hip <laughs> in a gooseberry bush. He bound through and it landed on top of a gooseberry bush. So if I wouldn't have stopped there, my guess, I don't know how long, how many years have been for anybody had ever found that horn because it was such a rare spot that it was so lucky for me to stop in 300 acres of woods, take a drink of water, look at, look down right at my hip. There's a hundred and seven hundred inch horn there. <laughs> There definitely seems to be an element of luck involved here. Mm-hmm. I, I found about an eight-inch one the other day at the farm. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's no shocking of luck. <laughs> it was lucky I found one so small. Yeah, it was a needle in a haystack. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, kind uh, of big ones are so rare. I mean, I've shed hunted Mark's farms many a times, and we uh, very rarely we find a lot of his biggest bucks. You know, we're there shed hunting in the past. We yeah. found some of them, like Skyscraper, found a match set off him the year before Mark killed him and stuff, but it's rare. I mean, I've had some of the biggest deer I've hunted, and I'll have them all year long, and the winter comes, and they shut off, and you can't find the horns. So most times the culprit's a big pick cornfield. They hide them all the time. You know, tractor tires find them, that's about it. That's where mm-hmm. we usually go. You know, it's just crazy, but that's how it is. Booty, how do you deal with uh, shed poachers? Oh. Yeah, what I do is all my cameras that are broken, I just hang them up everywhere that don't even work. I just hang them everywhere because hmm. most times people see them, it'll just deter them, you know, because you can't, you just, you can't be there during, you know, it seems like during the weeks when it happens a lot and I've got it pretty much calmed down where I don't have the issues as much anymore because uh, I've caught some and dealt with it before and just hang tons and tons of cameras and, and let them see it, you know? That's, that's all you can do. My just problem let them is when I've had cameras out, they got stolen. <laughs> I'll take this. Yeah. I'll take this. Yeah, that's happened before too. I've one year I lost three uh, three reconics, and that was sad. But you know, you just you can only do so much with it. I mean, really, I mean, humans are smart. If you want to get around, you can get around and not get caught. You know. Yeah. And uh, but a lot of times, anymore, don't deal with it. You know, like in southern Iowa, down by Mark, them guys have so many people and there's so many managed farms down there. Up here where I live, there's not a lot of managed farms and it's just not a lot of food plotted farms. So, you know, it's not a big thing for people to shed poach a lot. I mean, yeah. There's groups of them, but it's not really that huge up here. Well, what kind of what kind of gear are you using, if any, when you go out for sheds? A hooded sweatshirt and a pair of binoculars. That's about it. Mm-hmm. I just, all I need is binoculars and I wear lace-up boots. I don't wear rubber boots. I see people wear rubber boots all the time, and I have no idea how they can walk in them things all day long, shed hunting. Yeah. Now, they're not really meant for that, but it's got to hurt the feet, but good pair of lace-up boots and, you know, um, uh, binoculars is a must. That's, you know, that's a must. You have to have binoculars. So, to save you from walking 300 yards out of the way for nothing. Yeah. You were talking about earlier, four-wheeler is also a key to your success, just covering a lot of ground quickly. Yep. Using a four-wheeler is, it's not good on your cardio, but it, it just saves you so much time, you know, driving edges and driving these big fields. I mean, me and Rod always used to do that. We'd have competitions on who'd find the most. And, and uh, he'd never get off the dang four-wheeler. He'd let the woods sit before he'd get off the four-wheeler to walk in the woods. Well, I just, I had to get in the woods too some. But, I mean, riding a four-wheeler, everybody likes to walk like used dogs, but riding a four-wheeler is guaranteed the number one tool to find a lot of sheds it just is you cover so much ground 
What's the number one peril to driving a four wheeler? <laughs> Dress warm. <laughs> I don't, what about what about the tires? <laughs> yeah, I was just I, like I was saying, it was uh last or it was a couple days ago. I was driving through a pick bean field and and bean fields are so hard on ATV tires. And uh, I got to the trailer after I was shut hunting, got home, and the next day I got out there and, and three of the tires on the four wheeler flat from yep. bean stocks. <laughs> That's a bummer. So. Uh, buy a, a tire patch kit and a little small pump where you can air up your tires on the run. Smart. That's a good hint, a good, <laughs> little tip right there. <laughs> well, and for, for people that are successful finding sheds like yourself, I imagine you bring a backpack or something to, if you're, if you're out hiking and. Oh yeah. Yeah. Backpack. Yeah. And then if I'm on the floor, I have a little basket. Um, and then bungee straps, you know, cause if you get out there, you tend to start finding a bunch. If you're on the floor, they'll bounce off and you know, you'll be back in the search again, back in the hunt. So, <laughs> sure. Bungee straps and uh, um, little basket and yeah, backpack and binoculars and bottle of water, you know, it's the main thing. But um, sometimes you don't, if you're just out for a quick shed hunt, you don't have nothing, but you know, it's just whatever you select, you want to keep warm and comfortable. So big part of your success, I would say in shed hunting is the year round work you do on the farm. So to, you know, in your opinion, what would be, top two, three things that you got to do as far as the pro- your property goes to c- kind of ensure that you actually have a deer herd to go shed hunt for? Um, that I literally, I put as much food as I can in because I'm fortunate enough. Thank goodness to have all my own equipment so I can run around and all the farms and put food in. I put as much food in is, you know, in my mind that I want to spend money on. And now it's going to be less because of it's, you know, prices are so crazy, but and, you know, that's the number one thing, but I would say, uh, you know, pressure is huge because like I say, where I'm at, there's not a lot of management. So I have a lot of neighbors that still do gun drives. So mm-hmm. I strategically, it takes me about two to three years to lock it in, but I strategically place my food where I can draw the deer into my farms where once the first uh, flake of snow flies come December, they tend to not leave because of the pressure and I stay out of them areas. So. I would say the key thing is if you can keep the food, just don't step foot in your timber ever. Don't get near it. Set your, set your blinds up to where you're not near bedding comes, you know, wintertime. And uh, if you have neighbors that are, you know, high on pressure and uh, that's, that's been my secret to my success is uh, it's a bummer. I've told Mark this before. I have uh, for instance, I have a couple 400 acre farms at least. And uh, I told him, I said, it sucks because just because of the pressure, I literally only have two tree stands on 400 acres. So if you have a 400 acre farm, most people have it scattered with 10 or 12. I have two tree stands and two box blinds. The box blinds are down the fields and the two tree stands are on edges where two funnels come together on both sides of the farm. And that's the only place I hunt. Now, would I love to go hunt some of the beddings or some of the funnels of the hogs backs? Sure. I would, but um, I wouldn't keep the deer there. And you know, you got, you got the fear of bumping them off and, and killing your age structure. So them are the two biggest things that I, I live by, you know, strategically live by. Interesting to hear how careful he is with well, intrusion. All the big buck killers. That's what you, I mean, that's what you hear from all of them. It's mm-hmm. stay out, stay out, which is tough, you know, for a lot of guys. I can think of several off the top of my head where they got a piece of property and it's like, man, I got this farm. I want to go play on it. I want to be active on it. I want to go walk it. And it's like, man, you got to stay out. You got That's tough to do, especially it's such a big investment. No matter whether you lease it or you own it, it's a big investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you want to, you want to utilize it. Right. But 
I think if your goal is to kill the kind of deer that these guys kill, it, you gotta have, you just gotta stay out. If your goal is to have a farm where your family's, you know, riding four wheelers on it and you know, you're fishing and you're, you know, you're active on it. It's a more of recreational than say hunting. That's a different goal. Mm -hmm. You got to realize that it may be hard to ever grow the type of deer that you're wanting to though. You know, that's the, yeah. that's the give and take of it. The suburban food plot that I put in this past year, the, homeowner was so proud of what we did to the forest he was taking his friends back in there to look at it Perfect. he's like hey there's tim's deer stand and there's his blind and uh, this is the food plot he put in thank you very much lots of pictures of uh visitors on the plot like, oh. and i can't yeah. do a thing about it it really is a bummer though um it is so hard on you when you have all that that ground that you can hunt and you only have a couple of stands it's just brutal i I sit there with Lee sometimes and I'm like, man, I just like to take a couple stands and hang and hunt over there. And every year as the time winds down, I get closer and closer to doing it. And I'm like, no, what I'm doing is working. Um, why, why change it? And why break my rule? Cause if you break your rule next year, you inch a little closer to it with another stand. You know what I mean? So you're better off just to stay stern on your thoughts of this is the way I'm going to hunt this farm. And I'm going to keep that way. The only time I break the rule maybe is for, uh, for Trevin, maybe. Yeah. Your son. Yeah. He's just naturally lucky in a ways he can walk out and we could be trying to hunt two spikes in a 150 a walkout. You know? He has killed some big deer. <laughs> <laughs> and literally that's just the way it works too. Yeah. They hunt little buster acts, nothing, none of them come out. They're too scared to come out. It's just the big boys come, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. could be something in the booth and jeans. So you, you plan a lot of food plots. You've talked about it. What's your go-to, like it, it, in a perfect world, you know, subtract prices and fertilizer costs and all the things that are rising this year. What's your go-to food plot that you put in? Um, I like to, um, sometimes you'll see it. I like to be obviously deer radish and I like to take about two whisks. I have a seven foot tiller that I use. I like to take two whisks around. If I'm doing an edge or a point of a field, I just like to break it up so it's just not radishes. So a lot of times what I seem to do the best on, you can use clover's good too, but I like to take two passes around the outside along the wood edge where, you know, you don't get the best, you know, growth. And I like to put winter rye along the edges as late as I can. I'll be in there, you know, mid to end of September gambling because I only want to get, really, I only want to get about that high. They say you can like it that high, but I don't want it very high and I want it as thick as possible because the smaller, the most palatable, they like it that way, you know? And I, I seem to have a lot of drawing power doing that little blend and everybody has their own secret blends, but that seems the best. I mean, I've tried everything, bordered everything and their brother, but um, running like a winter rye around the outside, 10 foot wide, the whole passage around the outside of these radish plots leading into behind me, having a standing cornfield mm -hmm. with a blinder sitting on the edge of a tree stand. That blend seems to work so well because they eat in it and they're always scraping in the edge of the rise too. So they're right there scraping, they'll stop and eat and then they'll go to radishes, but there's always double the things there because the edges will always have your scrapes and the rye will have scrapes in it too, but they always seem to scrape, eat rye for a little while and then go right to the radishes. So it's double uh, the food. So it's in their mindset. Well, they got radishes over here. I could just step in here, but there's a radish field over here. Well, if you double it, I'll have one, if there's two fields on each end of these farms, I'll put clover on one border and on the other end, I'll do rye on the other border. So you got double the stuff that, you know, different things they can eat. And that's somehow how you can, you know, sometimes how you can get a big one killed. And that aspect is 
know, that week where they start daylight, he may be like, just like, man, that rye is phenomenal. I want to go right to that rye venom and the radishes rather than going over to eating clover. Mm-hmm. That the, Just that minimal of five days could get you a shot of the buck just having that little strip of clover or rye around there. And a lot of people don't, some people plant rye and some people don't, but I just, they seem to like it so much on edges. So that's what I've had good luck with. So a little buffet. Buffet. Yep. Yeah, old country. <laughs> That's right. I love it. Ponderosa. That's old school. <laughs> Used to kill a Ponderosa buffet back Hell yeah, on a Sunday after church. <laughs> yeah. Let's get yeah. some. And now I think about it, I was like, it's gross. kind of gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, chocolate fountain. It's just fun. It's, it's fun to, you know, it's fun to just practice and just try different stuff. Because, I mean, one, one thing I would tell people is don't practice and try stuff on your main Food plot. If you got, if you only got an acre and a half, two acres, don't do a lot of practicing on it because <laughs> if that's all you got. Make sure you got some good uh, tonnage in there. Don't be practicing with clover blends and the whole thing. If you're wanting to hunt late season, I mean, clover's good late season, but you know, I'd rather have a bulb, you know, than a than clover. This com- got to the sound bite comes to mind. You know what it was? I got too comfortable. And I started to get fancy. You, <laughs> you, get fancy. you don't want to get too fancy. <laughs> hey, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I would definitely plan, uh, you know, some sort of a bulb if that's all you got. But don't keep your practicing to a minimal because the amount of acreage you got, if you only got that much, is pretty valuable. I would say that. This is hitting home for me. <laughs> all I do is practice. <laughs> yeah, this is hitting home because I got – that, that new farm, it's 102 acres, and there's about 40 acres of tillable. Well, I want to leave half of that with the farmer that rents it mm-hmm. and take the other half and, and you know, try to figure out what food plots are. What co- yeah, there was. We walked it the other day with, with Mark and Terry the first time they saw it, and, you know, that my head was spinning. <laughs> like they were throwing out the ideas. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's great stuff. <laughs> but the capable, you know, our capabilities are not where theirs are, obviously. Like, this is really yeah. our first. We've planted some green food plots, and that's about it. We've never planted, we, you know, gr- any grains. We've never planted the, the warm season grasses. You know, like, there's a lot that could go wrong. <laughs> and Mark's like, well, you know, you could, you could, because I wanted to do, get some more cover there. He's like, you could yeah. do the poor man's way and just let your grass. Grow, your weeds grow up. Huh. Like, I see. <laughs> I am a poor man now that I purchased this. That's farm. right. I have no money. Yes. This you. This is me. Got a nice barn. Nothing inside of it. Oh yeah, nothing. <laughs> Someday you'll be a bigger boy. We got the farm though. <laughs> yeah. First things first. <laughs> Step one. Uh, Booty. Any other parting shots as far as shed success goes? Oh, that's you know. I would, that's what I would say. I just. You know, biggest part is, is it's pressure just not going in there. That's the biggest thing. If you got food and even if you got, you know, thermal cover, warm grasses and cedars and stuff, you know, and there's no food really other than them pawn in a field, mm-hmm. I would stay out no matter what until March 1st. I mean, different regions are, you know, different parts. Like Southern Iowa, people are saying there's 75% still carrying down there. And I'm headed to Kansas next week, so I'm hoping they start popping. But, you know, least amount of stress, they'll, you know, if they don't stress, they don't pop them, you know. But uh, I would stay out in the Midwest region. I'd always stay out till March 1st weekend. Unless you got, you know, this mega buck that sheds. I mean, I understand. There's no way you're going to let a squirrel sit there gnawing the thing for a month. But, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing for numbers-wise is just staying out and, and not try not to run out of food. But even if you, like I say, if you have grasses and, and thermal cover, like I'm talking, where they can sit there and sun all day or sit in, you know, cedars on north slopes where they, they're comfortable – you'll still find a ton of sheds. That's cool. That's one thing I can say. 
But always check them north slopes for the Giants. Mm, that's my hot tip. That is, yeah. That's my number one tip of the day, and most people are always saying, check those south slopes, but you always want to do that. But south slopes are good for numbers. North slopes are good for slobs. I like it. Mm. That's the quote. That's the that's the real for this week. The re- <laughs> this week's real moment. That's right. Brought to you by Booty. You can find them on South Coast, don't get me wrong, but it just seems like that's where the Giants are always at when I find them. Yeah. The, Before we jump into the business we got to take care of, I want to know, you, you know, you've been with us a long time, tons of good stories over the years. I think back to like, you know, the original dream season, you and Jason Irish were on that. Of course, you've been on Bo Madness for a long time. You've been a key part of the team and, and overall success for Jury Outdoors. What's a moment that stands out to you over, you know, whether it's funny or busting somebody or what, what, what's a moment that stands out for you being with us that long? I, uh, it was, it's just, a, it's, it was funny. I went down and I filmed Mark, um, I can't remember if it was during second gun when he still owned his main farm down there. This is 10 years ago. And I was, we were, we were chasing this particular buck. It was a big, like a 160 class buck wherever. And we were sitting in this box blind and I was like, you know, it was, we were hunting in the morning, late season. And I was scratching my head here thinking, what in the world are we doing? Well, this deer come from underneath of us and Mark had spotted it. And it was so hard to see. And we were using the old XL one S's, remember the big camera? And he come out and Mark's like, yawn it, yawn it. And uh, I filmed it and he, he shot him and the deer run off. And I think the deer, I can't remember if he ran back underneath of us or what. And I told Mark, I'm like, I think I got it, but I don't know if I, I don't remember if I push record or not. And I'll never forget the look on his face when I saw. I've seen it. I don't know if I push record or not, because back then that was that was a huge deer, and it's still a huge deer on the wrong. But back then, 160s were monsters, and I'll never forget. I mean, his face went white. Looked at me, like, is this Joker kidding me, or is he being serious right now? Because I didn't know about it. I was in the moment. I was like, man, I was a big deer, you know. <laughs> and I ended up getting that record, but I'll never forget his face. It was so comical, and he went like this. His face, he's like this. I'll never forget that. And he may remember, may not, but it was so comical. When I was driving home after we killed that, I remember I was just driving down I-35. It was like two hours into the drive. And I just broke out laughing because I thought of his face reaction. You know, speaking from experience, if you would not have got it on camera, you would never have filmed them again. Oh, no. That's a fact. No, that's a fact. I know that. I've heard many of stories. I'm sure you've been there before, Matt. Yes, I have in Colorado. Mule deer, huh? Never filmed them again. We just talked about it actually on Monday. We were joking about it. Dad's like, you did that by design. I was like, we'll never know. a checklist everybody has filmed them and there's a box he's done <laughs> yeah yeah Check. cross it off the list yeah, as my one, grandma lucy would one, say <laughs> one shot we're crossing it off the Ooh, list <laughs> Jeez, mm-hmm. good deal well booty you want to stick around or you got a jet well i got i can i got a jet i got uh furniture guys coming here in a little bit so it was fun talking, and uh, I'll probably jet out if that's fine. Yep, yep. Yeah. We appreciate you jumping on, man, and uh, good luck, Kansas shed hunting. Good luck in Iowa the rest of the way here, and I look forward to following along on your Instagram, your Facebook channels, because he's always got the good content, the big deer the big content. Deer, that's yeah, that's really right. what we're talking about. <laughs> Not a lot of content, but it's quality. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you. All Thanks right. Care, guys. All right. See you, buddy. See you, buddy. Yeah. Talk about a consistent, even like the buck that Trevin killed this past, oh, yeah. this past fall. It was bigger than what you and I Most killed. grown men <laughs> would die to kill a deer like that. Yes. And it's funny because Booty and I talk quite a bit through the season. And he's like, man, he's like, I didn't want my kid to kill a big deer. Yeah. He's, and it's happened a couple years in a row now. He's like, God, I'm trying to get him a small deer. But every time we go out, a big giant comes out. And he's like, well, can I shoot him? And I will say like his kid. So his son is about my son's age. And it's yeah. a difference of, in my opinion, growing up in the country surrounded like they're living that lifestyle 24 7 sure and we're not right we're in the suburbs and you know i get it's a production to get the kid on at the farm so it's it's a difference i don't think my son's ready to hunt his son's been hunting for a couple years he's a Mm -hmm. killer you know he's stone cold he's he's but booty has kind of held hold his held his hand through all the process and he wants to he's a part of it they shoot all the time you, you know what i mean it's appropriate he's, he hell he's found more sheds than i have this year the sun yeah. <laughs> and bigger yeah, <laughs> so, i mean they're just living that that lifestyle so it's, it's cool to see but booty's not one of those guys that i mean he wants his son to earn it you know and and, mm-hmm. and booty has definitely earned it over the years yeah booty's also one of those guys it's always the quiet guys that fly oh, yeah. below the radar yeah. that are the big butt killers that really know their stuff you don't see them all over so they're they, they got nothing to prove because they're too busy killing well he doesn't we had to twist his arm to be on the podcast like this isn't a guy that's going out there trying to be on every single podcast that he can get on and kind of blow his name up it's mm-hmm. he's that's not what he's about if he i think if he didn't do this for us you'd never know about like he would just silently go about his business and he'd be a big buck killer. And there's so yep. many of those guys you hear about it all the time. Like, Oh, my hometown, this guy, he's the killer. You know, he, he's always on a giant, you know, I can think of, of, of guys from our, our hometown, a guy like Keith Beezer or what, you know, there, there's guys that you just know are going to get on big deer mm-hmm. and Consistently. because they're not, you know, maybe don't have a social presence or aren't on, you know, a TV show or whatever. You're not hearing about them on a national level, but believe me, their town knows about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Booty's yep. one of those guys. Yeah, he is. Well, we've got some new Rack Pack members to welcome into the show. And if folks aren't familiar with this segment, we usually throw in a fake name to just trip me up just to have a good time. <laughs> All right. So the newest Rack Pack members, and you go to Facebook, type in, in the search bar, the Jury Outdoors 100% Wild Rack Pack, and you can uh, be a part of this as well. we got over 720 members in there now. We Growing. just started it a couple months ago. So it's pretty cool to see a little community there. we got Darren Haverstick, Mitchell Weiss, Chaz Potabomb. I always have to look at Tim to see his reaction to see if that's the fake one. Mm. Brian Johnson, Chris Peebeck. <laughs> How do you say that, Tim? It looks like crispy bacon. <laughs> that's the fake one. Look at Tim's face. Jackson Dodd, Aaron Duvall, Garrett Spade, Spody, Speedy, <laughs> Tom Peters. I'm petered out. <laughs> All right. Next up. Darren Haverstick. That's what I. He's fake. Darren Haver. All day long. Yeah. Or maybe crispy bacon. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> Damn it. This always trips me up. <laughs> I love crispy bacon. <laughs> and then over on <laughs> Apple Podcast, I really took pains to spell it bizarrely. P. P. A. Bacon. <laughs> P. A. Bacon. <laughs> He's from a, an Eastern Black country. Hopefully uh, not Ukraine. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Big Hunter 08 gave us five star rating over an Apple podcast. He says, love the podcast, guys. Been watching Mark and Terry the last 25 years. Can't wait every week for the new podcast to drop. Always a good listen and love the soundboard. I predict Matt's killing a 180 plus next year <laughs> and Mr. Tim's killing a 200 out of the saddle. Where are we Keep sp- it up and best of luck this spring. Where are we supposed to hunt to kill these deer? Maybe he was hoping Booty would give us an invite <laughs> to come up not, with him. It is not where I'm currently <laughs> hunting. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but you never know, right? Listen, if I can combine two deer to one score, then we're good. We talked about this the other day, too. We were texting Mark and... We said we needed a 200 or 220, you said, something like that. And you're yeah. like, well, I did kill two deer last when year. you look at my season in yeah. total, I'm there. I said we couldn't kill a 120. <laughs> that was a 220. <laughs> right. it's like, that's a unicorn for us. <laughs> um, oh, it's show and tell time. Oh, so gosh. I was out doing a little walking last oh. night. Okay. Uh, doing some shed hunting. Oh, really? Yep. My first time out uh, this year. And I found something that you don't want to find. That's what she said. <laughs> Continue. Alan. Holy crap. It's dripping water all over the floor, Tim. Who knows what kind of fluid that is. Thanks. Okay, so it's not good. You found a deadhead. Yeah. I had not seen this deer before. It, That's a nice deer. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing he's probably three, three? but I, yeah, yeah. I don't Which property know. was this? Uh, this was out in um, uh, out in Eureka, Missouri. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, it's a so shame. It, it was on the border of uh, the public land, and I'm smelling it now. Yeah. So we're <clears throat> okay. Alan, do you mind tell us take that back, that back outside? outside? Maybe don't try Every, not to drip it all over the that's floor. Alan. That's school gross. juice. Thanks what other show are you gonna watch and get school juice? Ugh. <laughs> Oh, hold on, hold on. I got a sound effect for this. I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that in. Well, I texted. Um, oh, God. It's <laughs> so I bad. God. <laughs> Glad this is on your side of the office and not mine. <laughs> I was so bummed out when I found him. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, now I'm bummed out disgusting. you found him. I'm really bummed out you found him. I texted our buddy, Agent uh, Andrew Barnes, uh, with the Missouri Department of Conservation for a salvage tag last night. Yeah. So he's going he's gonna to set me up with that. So he said you could move it before the salvage tag. So that's yeah. the thing. you got to be careful. You don't want to move it and then call. you got to call first and yeah. ask what they it want was, you to do. It was it. awesome because like, I texted him. In the, I sent him a picture. I was like, hey, here's the county I found it in. He's like, I'll drop it in the mail for you tomorrow. You're good. Okay, good. So, good. Not, not every not every agent no. is that available. No. And different states have different regulations on what you can do and what you need in order to move it. Yeah. But it was it was really great customer service. Kudos. It just sucks that. Yeah, it that, sucks. That I mean, it's part of it. You know, guys are finding them dead all, you know, what this is where you figure out if you had a EHD, if your neighbor shot him, if got hit by a car. This yeah. is just part of it. You passed deer and the weird thing was there were still carrion beetles on him. I hope they're in here now so, in our office, Tim. On this side. <laughs> yeah. Great uh, great thing about carrying beetles is they only mess with dead matter. So Scott! he just brought over the sink crusher. Coke. The max unit. Yeah, the max unit. Sink crusher max unit. Because we need the big guns. Yeah. he's re- Go ahead and turn it on. It's fine. <laughs> Let's get this thing puffing that smoke. We'll be under the influence of uh, ozone here. I'm fine with that. I'm used to that smell. I'm actually, it's, <laughs> it takes me back to the season. Yeah, it does. 
It's a it's a familiar scent. It is. It's a formidable scent. <clears throat> I'd much rather smell that. Sixty percent of the time. It works every time. I got a sound bite right. for that too somewhere, but how about the question of the day? Let's do it. Question of the day is probably brought to you by Cold Steel, professional blades for real hunters. Hey guys, my name is Andrew here in North Louisiana. Uh, I've got a question about deer movement. Um, I've got a set of woods that runs east and west, um, the north side of which is planted in beans, my neighbors, and the south side is a large hayfield of mine. Um, I've got a mineral site in the woods that I have observed some small bucks and some does, um, but I'm trying to understand which direction they're moving uh, to and from, where they're bedding, and when. Uh, had some difficulty establishing a pattern, but was wondering, would deer on either side of this, this set of woods, uh, there's water and there's high ground and low ground, would deer prefer to bed on a ridge over water, high ground over water, or prefer a lower kind of a bottom area. Um, there's no discernible deer trails. I just know they move through this set of woods just trying to pattern them. Uh, thanks a lot. Love the show. Wish Booty was still on. <laughs> I, Someone who would know. I would think that it's going to be where your best cover is, you know, thermal cover, if it's wherever that may be. I w- you wouldn't think it'd be on a ridge top necessarily and kind of up in the elements but if that's where your best security cover is you know that then maybe that's where they'll be yeah as far as like you know if your neighbor's got <clears throat> food and and you have a hay field you know certainly i could see where you know at nighttime they'll go out in that hay field and like it's as as terry put it the other day it's kind of a romper room we were looking at my property and, and one of the neighbors is you know cut cut hay field and mm-hmm. it's like yeah, actually they loved a kind of play around in that at night and it, it's just an it's just an area for them to run around or whatever but you wouldn't think that would be the area where they're gonna kind of stick to i mean there's nothing there there's no food really I yeah mean, there's just not much there for them so i would think your timber up into the neighbor's food like in my opinion you would want to put some sort of food on your side, I understand if you if you're you're hanging your property or whatever, maybe carve out something right up against the the woods, the mm-hmm. timber there. So there's a reason for them to be on your side because yeah. otherwise, say they are bedding in that in the timber. Well, why would they go to your side during hunt, legal shooting hours versus going to the side where the food's at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure that farmer you know cuts those crops or you, you harvest the, you know the crops come anywhere from October through, you know, November or whatever, but Mm -hmm. still, you know, that's when you're probably wanting to be hunting too. Right. Yeah. And just when you think about bedding, you think about like a deer's ability to detect danger coming. And so usually higher places, you know, you, in fact, when I was out yesterday, I I found on a, on a hillside, it was an easterly facing hillside that kind of sloped down into a intermittent Creek bed, but there were just a bunch of, you know, you could see where they had bedded down and compressed the leaves they got a great vantage point for kind of the plateau that's above them, but then also everything that could be coming up in that valley. And so you think about their need for security and their need to be able to visually detect anything that's coming. Um, so higher higher vantage places, places seem to me to be the place where deer tend to bed. It could be different though, like if there's not enough wind cover and it's yeah. really windy and blustery, then they maybe want to hit get, in the face, then get down gonna... out of it. Yeah. So a bottom might be better. So it's a little bit dependent on weather factors. Yeah. But in general, you need cover. Mm-hmm. So 100%. Yep. All right. Wildlife word. Woo-wee.
It's brought to you by Hunter Specialties, exclusive makers of the DOD signature series of turkey calls, which I started to get my turkey stuff out this past weekend. I was texting with Dustin Lynch yesterday, and he's like, man, I got to start getting them out and start blowing on these mouth calls because I gotta, just got to get the practice in. I'm like, yeah, about that. <laughs> Me too, but... I should start. I, I could practice for months and it's still going to sound like crap. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Every now and again, when Mark's in the studio, I've, I think about like having him diagnose my calls and then I, it's think, a bad idea. I think twice. <laughs> and I don't. He'd be honest. <laughs> yeah. well, that sounds terrible, Tim. Here's you, what I really would suggest you do. Before? Use a slate call. Use a box uh, call. Yeah. <laughs> Much safer. I can do all those things, but mm-hmm. boy, makes it tough when they're right in on you and you need one last set of calling to make it happen. Yeah. And for you, even worse, because you're always bow hunting. Yeah. Like, like a weirdo. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like Layden Force. Yeah. I mean, I'm, should, I'm like the laden force of the turkey hunting world. Not an idiot, though, right? Well, not that component. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Different level. All right. Okay. Uh, so this is, a, it's about wild turkeys. Wild turkeys can succumb to something called blackhead disease. It's an often lethal illness causing the birds to stand with their heads tilted or drawn against their bodies, droop their wings, and keep their eyes partially closed and ignore danger. Sounds drunk. <laughs> Sounds like I'd like to hunt some of these turkeys. <laughs> What causes blackhead disease? Is it A, a single cell parasite? B, drinking too much water? E, sorry, C, eating too much chocolate and it's greasy a, food? It's A, B, C, D, <laughs> dummy. A, B, E, D, C, F, G. I think I know my alphabet. Okay. Thank you. Uh, or D, is it shame? Well, as much as I'd like to think shame is involved. You've been a bad turkey. <laughs> I think it's A, a single cell parasite. That's right. Got one. I didn't even need help. And, and they say, like, if, if you were to do an, an autopsy on these birds, that their, uh, their <coughs> lungs have these, like, almost like, you know, when mold grows on bread, usually it's in circles. Yeah. They usually find these, like, rings on their lungs that indicate the bird Gross. was I would infected. assume you don't want to eat <laughs> that turkey. <laughs> Yeah, you probably wouldn't want to, although uh, poultry, uh, just most poultry diseases don't jump that kind of species barrier yeah. between people, but still, like, eh, eh. you just wouldn't want to take the risk. Yeah. So that's blackhead disease. Pretty gross, Tim. Thanks for... Uh, Good times. Brought in a... Diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> brought Thanks, in a stanky deadhead. <laughs> yeah. You really brought this show down. Who would have thought you could have brought, brought it down any more than you already do, it's, but you did it there's, today. There's a, lot, there's a lot to this show, and if you only listen, you're only getting probably 70% of the goodness. Because you watch it, and there's some extra, like, Booty's eight-point shed find. That's going to be something watch you it. can watch. Tim's deadhead. You got to watch it. Mm-hmm. It was compelling. All right. Smell-o-vision. I, well, if that's you, what we need. at this point, you'd be smelling that scent crusher ozone. <laughs> we got it running here. <laughs> right now, I got a real mixture of ozone and death. Yeah. Good times. Used to that in the fall. <laughs> ozone oh. means death. Wow. Meaning, if you use it. You're going to kill something. You should be in marketing. Uh, I am, Tim. Oh. <laughs> Congratulations. Not well. <laughs> All right. I got a meeting here in seven minutes. We got to okay, go. Okay. Let's shut it down. We got to shut it Next down. Next up is episode number 255. I think. 
You never know. <laughs> it could be 262. I mean, you got A, B, C, D, E, F, G wrong. So, <laughs> yeah. And apologies to folks who looked at our Apple podcast it's been a real feed. Nightmare. And it's a it's a word jumble in there. It's not our fault. It's not, thankfully. Uh, and it should be resolved about now. But we appreciate the fact that people missed an episode. Like, the, hey, what's up? Missed it as in, like, where's it at? Exactly. <laughs> not yeah. like, I'm going to skip this one. <laughs> I'm sure there's a little bit of that going on, too. All right. All right, so the shed, uh, the shed, the shed search continues. Yes, you're at one. <laughs> I've, got, it's a I've, tiny got, one. I've got zero. You're <laughs> so you're still ahead of me, <laughs> technically. Yeah. I suppose I got two with a skull plate. In attached. fairness, <clears throat> Doug, the landowner at the one lease, he's he's kind of been out there a little bit, and he's found quite a few Did four or five. Plant? Did he plant that one on your property for you, or did Scott maybe no, do that? No, no, it's I found. Oh it man, look at you! You found a. That's right. And then Scott's found a couple at Ellsbury, and then I found the one lonely small shed at my piece. But the cool part was I did it with Cameron and Lola. We were out shed hunting together, yeah. and we found it. Like I filmed the whole thing. It's on my Instagram reel. It's pretty cool. It's funny. Yeah. So, okay. Well, All right. Let's shut this baby down. Thanks let's for do watching it. and listening, everybody. All we right. appreciate it. Until next time. Peace out. Temperatures are going to be dropping. Perfect conditions for the skinny field. i got to focus on those afternoon hunts. Northwest Tree Stand, 5 p.m. It's the easiest decision you'll make this season. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.